Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by the Ham Station. Get your new radio or antenna by calling 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com. It's Ham Radio. Hey, good evening, everyone. It's time for another Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 33. The Buffet Island De-Expedition with Ralph Fedor, K0IR, reported live on Thursday, September 29th, 2016. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we'll be joined by Ralph Fedor, K0IR. One of the co-leaders of the upcoming Bouvet Island de-expedition. And we will take your calls live with Ralph in just a few minutes. Last week on the show, Christian Kundnick K0STH was here to talk about the 100 watts in a wire fallout on October 8th and 9th. And if you missed that show, you can listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or you can download the podcast from iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or you can listen to us over on YouTube. Uh, before we go to break, I uh, do have a message uh, that we received from John uh, Amadeo, NN6JA, the producer of the TV show Last Man Standing. Uh, he dropped us an email about a chance to work the set of Last Man Standing coming up in two weeks. Um, now, they normally operate, but they're going to be on D-Star on October 11th. And they will have a couple of special guests, Aim, uh, Ed and Amy Woodrick, uh, will be visiting the Last Man Standing show. So Ed, W-A-4-Y-I-H, and Amy, K-E-4-I-K-F, will be on the D-Star uh, Reflector 30 Charlie. Again, it's uh, D-Star Reflector 30C. Uh, from the Mike Baxter office set on the last man standing stage in Studio City, California. The crew of the show usually operates from the set during their Tuesday night shoots during the dinner break, which is usually about 2245 UTC, and they're usually on for about an hour. So be sure to give them a call. And right now, get all your questions ready to go for Ralph Fedor. After the introduction, you can call us on Skype 
and the username HamTalkLive, or by telephone, the number is 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. You can also tweet us a question. Our Twitter handle is at HamTalkLive, and you can also post a comment right there on the uh, website as you're listening. So I'll be back with Ralph K0IR right after this word from the Ham Station right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by the Ham Station. For 35 years, the Ham Station has brought new and used radios, antennas, accessories, and equipment to the amateur radio community. Give Jeff or Dan a call at 1-800-729-4373 or order online at hamstation.com. Ham Station carries all the major brands like Icom, Yaesu, and Kenwood. Shop from a wide selection of radio scanners, MFJ accessories, Heil Sound products, Mirage and Ameritron amplifiers, Cushcraft antennas, and more. Easy online shopping and fast shipping are waiting for you at hamstation.com or call 1-800-729-4373. The Ham Station, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. The grass may be greener on the other side, but at least we don't have to mow it. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Welcome back to Ham Talk Live. The ham station has you covered for both new and used equipment. Give Dan or Jeff a call at 800-729-4373 or go to hamstation.com and tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live. Be sure to listen to Ham Talk Live every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here on hamtalklive.com. And if you miss the show, you can download the podcast from the website and most popular podcasting sites. Ralph Fedor, K0IR, lives near... St. Cloud, Minnesota, has been licensed since 1962. Ralph's passions have been DXing, contesting, and DXpeditions. Ralph's been on several trips, including Navassa, Amsterdam Island, Malpelo, uh, Bhutan, Peter One, and Saba Island, just to name a few. Ralph is currently organizing and fundraising for the Bouvet Island DXpedition, which he will be talking to us about tonight. Ralph is a retired doctor and radiologist and an extra-class operator. He's operated from 27 different countries. He's a member of multiple radio societies, and he's on the board of the directors of the International DX Association and has been elected to the DX Hall of Fame. Ralph, thanks for joining us tonight on Ham Talk Live. Well, my pleasure, Neil. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, now, as I was uh, putting together a, a list of uh, guests for the show, um, originally I had noted that um, your plan was to go to uh, Crozet uh, soon, but then I saw that had changed to Bouvet Island. So uh, tell us about the switch there and why that happened. Okay, Neil. Well, the um, uh, Crozet Island is in the uh, southern Indian Ocean. It's uh, managed by the French. The organization that manages, manages it is called TAF. Um, in 2014, we did a de-expedition to Amsterdam Island, again, one of the French islands. 
we had developed an excellent relationship with TAF and the French team that was on Amsterdam. Uh, it was a very successful de-expedition. I think we netted 170,000 QSOs. And at that time, we were almost encouraged to, to do a de-expedition to Crozet. And we started planning for that. But things change. TAF uh, renews and rotates its staff every couple of years. We lost some of the contacts that we had there. Some new people came on board who didn't know us. And uh, so we were unfamiliar to them again. Um, Crozet is a very pristine environment. And the French have done a, a wonderful time or have done a wonderful job of keeping out non-native species and preserving the island. Uh, and understandably, when a new group of administrators have something like a de-expedition plan across their desk, uh, they get a little concerned. This is unfamiliar territory for them. And they ask some questions like, will biosecurity of the island be preserved? Uh, is wildlife going to be affected? How are 14 ham radio operators coming on this island going to change the lives of the 15 people who are on staff there? And, you know, what threat are these people going to bring? They're arriving from seven different countries. Uh, what possibly could they bring with them that would uh, harm the island? So they had a lot of concerns. Uh, some of them were just because they didn't understand and know. But at the, in the end, uh, the new staff at Taft didn't feel comfortable granting us a landing permit and they denied it, and so we had to refocus on something else, and that uh, something else is now Bouvet Island. Which actually, if I have my geography correct, isn't all that much of a location change. Is that right? Um, it is uh, relatively the same latitude. It is probably maybe a couple thousand miles from, um, from Crozet, Maybe a little less than that, but it's, uh, you know, it's in the same weather environment. Well, I guess the weather's a little harsher on Bouvet, um, but, you know, it's it's one of the sub-Antarctic islands, as is Crozet. Okay, well, tell us a little bit about your new location, uh, Bouvet Island, and uh, some of the challenges that you um, expect to face on this trip, and the the Peter Wine Island uh, expedition was was kind of uh, a big deal to me because I was friends with one of the the crew and we actually talked to them from uh, our high school ham radio club that I sponsor and um, you know was able to talk to Gary down there and then um, the video uh, oh and his and his nephew was actually in in the club uh, at the time. And then the video kind of inspired uh, the Young Ham of the Year, uh, Patrick Rosandru, uh, a few years later. So that the, the expedition has always been very special to me, and I, I suspect this one's going to be kind of similar, at least as, as far as the weather goes. Yeah, it will be. Um, Bouvet is a little farther north, so you would expect it to be perhaps a little bit milder, but uh, it really isn't. It's at about 54 degrees, 24 minutes south, and 3 degrees, 22 minutes east. And we've heard the term the Roaring Forties. Well, Bouvet is in the, in the Furious Fifties. Um, it's about 19 square miles in size. It's about 95 to 97% ice covered. Uh, it's the most isolated island in the world. If you were to draw a circle around it with a radius of 1,000 miles, 
There would be no other landmass within it and very few people. Uh, narrow that circle to 500 miles and there are almost certainly no other people in it. The, um, the island is basically surrounded by ice and rock cliffs. The strong winds uh, produce high surf. Temperatures that we will encounter will be within a few degrees plus or minus of uh, freezing. It's windy. Uh, we can expect winds of 70 miles an hour or more. Uh, so we need adequate, sh adequate shelters. It can snow and sleet and drizzle. It's uh, surrounded often by uh, low clouds and fog, which presents a problem for helicopter flying, which we will have to do. A lot of the um, easy, and I use easy as a, a relative term, a lot of the easier places to access are off limits or restricted. So our permit uh, grants us helicopter access to the uh, Slack Hallett Glacier on the east side of the island. Uh, we'll be based there at about 600 feet above sea level. Uh, we've looked at the topographical maps and so on to find the flattest area that we can to minimize the risk of avalanches and crevasses. Uh, but we are exposed and uh, very much like we were on Peter 1. So there are, there are similarities. Uh, both of them are tough. Uh, Bouvet uh, may challenge us even more with the uh, clouds and fog situation. Yeah, and I remember on Peter One, the fog was uh, was definitely a, a concern there, and uh, so that that scares me that <laughs> you're expecting it to be even worse. <laughs> Just be glad you're not the helicopter pilot. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. Well, uh, so have you picked out some equipment yet, or are you going to go with something a little different uh, with equipment this time, or what? What are your uh, what are your plans so far on on the rigs and on antennas? Well, we're doing a little groundbreaking there. Uh, we're taking flex radios, uh, the SDR software defined radios, and this will probably be their first airing on a major de expedition. Uh, our antennas are basically going to be our our standard venue. We'll use Yaggies on the high bands and verticals on the low bands. We want to do a no-compromise uh, operation as much as we can with uh, adequate power, adequate antennas, because trips like this can't happen very frequently, maybe every 15 years or so, simply because they cost so much. So we're taking the, the best equipment that we can to try to do the best job we can. Uh, if there's an open band, we'd like to have two stations on that band, one on sideband and one on CW or RTTY so we can get as many people in the log as possible. Well, that sounds great. Um, and I'm interested to hear that uh, you're going to try the Flex because we've had a lot of guests on the show, um, and we've talked about de-expeditions, you know, other de-expeditions, and we've talked about contesting and some of those things, and and it, that interests me that uh, you're going to, take that leap and, and give it a shot. Well, I think we, we can do some interesting things with them. Uh, we can put the radios, you know, off to the side, um, stack them up in a, on a box or a table or something, and uh, just have the, the, the computer uh, and a, a paddle on the, uh, the operating desk so we, we, can, we can have a lot more compact stations. We don't have to have as much stuff in front of us. And, of course, the radios are, are renowned for their uh, their performance, so we're looking forward to that. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really anxious to uh, to hear how that goes, and that could well be uh, you know a groundbreaking thing uh, for future uh, the expeditions that uh, may follow suit on that. So, be interested to hear how that goes. Well, tell us a little bit about raising the money because this isn't cheap. Uh, so, tell us about raising the money and and how people can uh, contribute to the cause and and help you out to get that. Uh, that all-important QSL card and, and getting the log. Okay, well, um, it is expensive, as you alluded to. We have a budget of $610,000. Um, 50% of that cost will be borne by the 20 team members. Uh, this is something we've done in previous de-expeditions where the team pays half the cost, and then we hope that the DX community will help us with the other half. Uh, this comes from uh, clubs, from foundations, uh, we get equipment from commercial sponsors, and then individuals, uh, whether they contribute $5 or $5,000, you know, it, it, all, uh, it all helps. Um, this primarily comes through us, uh, through uh, spreading the word on our website, which is www.bouvedx.org. Uh, through newsletters, bulletins, and word of mouth. And we try to make this as easy as possible with uh, all the stuff you need on our website and PayPal and, and so forth. Um, our experience with working with the DX community uh, with this agreement, the 50-50, has been very positive in the past. And our support uh, has been excellent on previous de-expeditions. And since we've gone public, which is probably, what, a month, five weeks, or something like that, uh, we've had a lot of interest and very enthusiastic support so far. So it, it's, the numbers are very big. Uh, transportation and the helicopter are the big ticket items in there. Um, and so far, we're encouraged, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, now I did notice uh, on some of the news sites that uh, just in the last uh, week you made uh, a big announcement uh, toward this. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, let's see. Um, we have, let, let me back up a little bit. We started this process in 2007 after we completed the Pier 1D expedition. Uh, we submitted a request for a permit to land on Bouvet. Uh, that was approved, and uh, that was the easy part. Getting, getting a permit and uh, the license is actually easy. Um, you have to uh, define the scope and scale of the operation, which involves transportation, landing, location, the infrastructure you're going to uh, bring with you, uh, the footprint uh, of your operation, the number of people, how you're going to mitigate against adverse effects on the environment, your safety precautions, contingencies, and so on. And this is all time-consuming, but it's doable. Um, and after you've got the permit, the license is kind of a no-brainer. But the hardest part, and the one that takes the time, is finding the reliable, safe, affordable transportation that's available at the right time, uh, with the right ship, to be in the right place, and so forth. And this has to be during the Bouvet summer when the weather is, in quotes, good. Um, throw in the need for a helicopter because beach landings are very hazardous. Uh, it's difficult enough to get people ashore, let alone equipment. Uh, 
And this process um, took us eight years before we could find the right combination of ship, time, and uh, cost. So hence that uh, permit process dating back to 2007. Took us eight years to do that. Uh, we put together a team in eight days. So that tells you a little bit about how, how difficult <laughs> it is. Yeah, wow. So this this announcement was that uh, you know everything's coming together. Yeah, and we uh, we do have our pilot team in place. I think since the announcement, we decided to add a, a VKZL uh, pilot. So uh, he is now on board. So we've got a chief pilot and uh, six uh, sub pilots to uh, be an interface between the DX audience and uh, us on the island. Sounds like things are coming uh, together very well, and so uh, hopefully that will continue and, and everything will go just fine on that. Well, uh, it's time to pay some of the bills, uh, but we'll come back and we'll take your calls. Um, so get ready to uh, call in, and I'll tell you how to do that after this word from Tower Electronics right here on ham talk live this episode of ham talk live is brought to you by tower electronics tower electronics has been the ham's dime store since 1978 bringing connectors antennas cables and other parts to the world scott and jill travel the country bringing their store to you at Hamfest, but you can also order online at pl-259.com or by calling 920-435-2973 Stock up on those supplies like PL259 and end connectors, audio cables, mobile antennas, and hamsticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even in use on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics is a dealer for MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro Technologies. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com, proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. My shacker yours. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Thanks once again to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. They are in Belton, Texas right now. They'll be at the Hamfest there on Saturday. And then next weekend, they will be in Melbourne, Florida. So give them a call if you're not in one of those places. 920-435-2973. Or visit their website at pl-259.com and tell them you heard it on Ham Talk Live. And be sure to listen to the show every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time at HamTalkLive.com. Check out our Facebook page and our Twitter feed also. Just search for HamTalkLive. Well, it's time now for your calls. If you have a question for Ralph K0IR, the phone number to call is 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-NET-HAM-1. Uh, you can also get us uh, directly on Skype. The Skype name is Ham Talk Live. 
Uh, you can also tweet us um, a question at Ham Talk Live uh, on Twitter, and you can also post a comment on the website. So if you have any questions about the Bouvet Island expedition or for Ralph, why uh, send those on in. Again, the phone number, probably the easiest way, 812-NET-HAM-1. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we get uh, some calls here. While we're uh, waiting on that, I'm going to ask you about the cold. Now, it seems like you've been on an awful lot of these polar region de-expeditions. Is there, is there a preference there for the cold? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I'm from Minnesota, so I'm, I guess I'm kind of used to that. And um, if, you, if you're looking for rare entities or rare DX places to go, they seem to be divided into two categories, the, the geographically isolated and the politically isolated. And to me, the geographically isolated is a lot safer than the politically isolated. And a lot of the geographically isolated places happen to be in the subantarctic. So that's, that's kind of how that uh, has come to be. And I guess I'm a little more comfortable in the cold than I am the heat. Because, you know, you can only take off so much clothing, but you can always put on more. Well, that's so, true. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I guess that's that's kind of why I uh, I've ended up in the polar places a little bit more. Okay, sounds sounds fair. Eight one two net ham one is the phone number again. Eight one two net ham one. Uh, we're talking Bouvet Island de expedition tonight with Ralph Fedor K zero I R. So uh, how do you? How do you deal with this extreme cold? Now, again, I, I go back to Peter One. I, I, I look at that video, and I, I see what you guys had to go through on that island and, and how much wind and, and cold. And So what are some of the things that you have to do to um, be somewhat comfortable in that, um, in that cold environment? Okay. Well, let's uh, let's start with the skin and, and kind of work our way out. Uh, one of the things that you need to be doing is to wick away any moisture in the form of persip uh, perspiration. So you need to uh, have undergarments that will wick that moisture away, usually polypro polypropylene, silk, or wool uh, would be the garments of choice. Uh, cotton is known as death cloth in the Antarctic. Because, because it, uh, it stays wet, does not uh, uh, discharge moisture. And, of course, if you're cold and you're wet, uh, hypothermia comes along and you're going to have all sorts of serious problems. Uh, over top of this uh, wicking material, it's a matter of layering. And uh, that depends on how cold it is, how many layers you put on. And then your outer layer has to be something that's windproof and it definitely needs to be waterproof. It needs to be a fabric uh, similar to Gore-Tex so that you will not let moisture through, but it will still breathe, and you can remain comfortable. I always tell people there's, there's two things they have to pay particular attention to. One is their feet, and one is their head. If your feet get wet and cold uh, early on, you're, gonna have a, you're not going to have a very good time. And the head is one of the major sources of heat loss because of the rich vascularity of the scalp. 
So managing what you have on your head is important. You need to either preserve heat by keeping a, a warm uh, lid on your head, or if you're getting a little bit warm, taking that lid off helps your body dump the heat that you're building up. If you're, For example, if you're working hard or something, take your hat off and let that blood radiate that uh, excess body heat into the air. Um, in a nutshell, that's kind of it, I guess. Um, you have to... You have to pay attention to what's going on. Be aware of what the signs of hypothermia are. Watch your buddies and uh, make sure your buddies are watching you. Now, what about your uh, your operating tents and uh, and the equipment? Uh, how do you how do you take care of that? Okay, um, we will likely have four shelters on the island. Uh, one shelter will be our operating site where we will have all the stations and where people go to. Uh, do their shifts. Uh, this will be heated to some extent. We will also have a kitchen area, and we've come to refer to this as the MEG, meeting, eating, greeting, where you go to eat and kind of hang out. And that will have some heat. The sleeping shelters we will not heat uh, for safety reasons. If uh, someone stumbles or gets out of bed or moves the wrong way and they knock a heater over, uh, fire is a real danger, and you don't want to do that. So our sleeping quarters will not be heated, which introduces another problem, because when you are breathing, you exhale uh, moist air. That moisture will then condense on the roof of the shelter, and you will have rain inside the shelter, you know, water dripping down, getting you wet. So you need to have waterproof sleeping bags when you're in these shelters, and sometimes you can put a, uh, a little liner or something between the ceiling or just below the ceiling, and the moisture will collect above that liner and, and run down the sides. So there's a number of things to think about. But basically, uh, four shelters, two for sleeping, which will not be heated, one for operating, which will be heated, and one for meeting, eating, and greeting, which will also be heated. 812-NET-TAM-1 is the phone number, 812-NET-TAM-1, or... Uh, send us a tweet uh, at Ham Talk Live, or you can comment on the site here. And uh, seeing some tweets out there, but I don't see any any questions. So, so send us some uh, some questions about uh, these um, Antarctic region uh, uh, trips that uh, that Ralph's been on. Um, the um, Other thing that we probably should talk about, and I always ask this whenever any you know Bob or, or any of the uh, the de expedition people uh, come on the show, um, is always, what's your advice to the people that are here that are trying to get you in the log down there? What what pieces of uh, what pieces of advice do you have? Um, to those operators that are that are trying to get a hold of you down there. Okay. Well, uh, I guess first of all, listen to what the DX operator is telling you as far as instructions, where he's listening and so forth. The other thing that I think, uh, well, let, let me give you this scenario. If I'm standing in the middle of a NFL stadium and everyone in the stands is shouting their name at me and I have to try to pick out a name. That's kind of what it's like being on the de-expedition side of, of the operation. And the only way I can pick that name out sometimes is if it's, you're a little different. 
something that separates you or makes you different from everybody else. And uh, in DXing, that difference may be the speed at which you're sending. It may be that you shift just a little bit off frequency from where everybody else is. And Maybe on voice, that may be why YLs get an extra 3 dB. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so try to make yourself different in some way. Uh, if you're slugging it out in the middle of the pileup and that's not working for you, uh, you know, try to go to the edge a little bit. And we've, we, we've got these wonderful flex radios. So if we see this little signal, you know, bleeping up and down beside the pileup, uh, we may just say, hey, you know, there's a QRP guy. Let's go get him. So be different. Stand out. Very good. Uh, some good tips there to, to do. And um, what about uh, what about the call signs? Do you like the whole call sign? Do you like partial call signs? What what's your what's your take on that? Um, I, uh, whole call signs. Uh, I think just about everybody will tell you that. Um, if I get a partial, you know, sometimes that's all I'm going to get, and I have to work with that. But every time I get a full call sign, I can almost guarantee there's an extra QSO coming because I don't have to go back and get the rest of that call sign. So if I get the whole call sign the first time, uh, I'm probably going to get an extra person in the log because of that. Very good. 812-NAT-TAM-1 is the phone number for Ralph Fedor, K0IR. And uh, how many of these how many of these trips have you been on now, Ralph? Uh, let's see. I think uh, this will be number 15. Um, now, some of these had multiple locations or, or, you know, two stops, like when we went to uh, South Sandwich and South Georgia. Uh, actually, I made that route twice. I've only counted that as, as 1D expedition, but there were, uh, you know, more than one stop. So I think this is my, this will be my 15th. Very Real good. trips, you know. Yeah, now... I don't know, and you're the doctor, so you're the retired doctor, so what are what are the medical risks of going on one of these trips? I mean, you know, you're not going to pick up the phone and call 911. <laughs> yeah. You can, but it's not going to do any good. That's right. They're not going to be able to help you too much. Um, the The minor things we have to be aware of, and we can deal with that. Um, major problems. If somebody has a heart attack, somebody throws a pulmonary embolus, uh, somebody has a dissecting aneurysm or something like that, we're not an intensive care unit. We're not a coronary care unit, nor will we ever will be. And about all we can offer in that situation is comfort. There are inherent risks in this. Uh, we encourage everybody to have a thorough physical examination we collect uh, medical histories from people. If we see something there that we think <clears throat> places that individual at uh, uh, additional risk and the team at additional risk, uh, we have a discussion about that. Uh, so we have to think about as all the scenarios ahead of time. Sometimes we have to tell people, you know, this just really isn't a, a wise decision on your part. Uh, you're on anticoagulants or you have uh, a condition that uh, if, if it uh, erupts, we just can't deal with it out there. Um, probably the most difficult situation I've had to deal with as a physician on one of these trips 
has been uh, uh, psychiatric problems. Uh, there's a lot of stress uh, that you are, if you're claustrophobic, that may bother you because there's not a lot of space to share. Um, panic attacks can occur, and I've dealt with that. Um, there's a variety of things. And um, one of the, an interesting thing here, I just thought of this. Uh, we had an individual on one of our trips who became psychotic. <clears throat> Didn't know who he was, where he was, who the people around him were. Was disorientated, time, place, and person. Big, strong guy. Uh, if he'd gotten violent, it could have been a problem. If he had wandered out onto the deck and fallen over, overboard, that would have, of course, been a problem. And uh, the issue was the scopolamine, the little patch that you put behind your ear. If you think one patch is good, uh, so two might be better, that might not be a very wise decision. Or if you buy a, a brand where the absorption rate is uh, unknown, perhaps it's from offshore, that can be a problem. So uh, a lot of things to think about and uh, things we, you know, you, you just don't think of uh, right away. Yeah, it's, it's a very... Uh very strenuous time, I'm sure. And uh, how long are you planning on uh, on making this trip? This will be about a seven-week window, door-to-door. Uh, -door. Um, most of the time is going to be spent getting there and getting back. Uh, we can figure on two weeks to get there, two weeks to get back, and uh, two to three weeks on the island. Okay, so two to three weeks on the island and then uh, getting there and back. And did I read correctly that you're probably going through Chile again? Uh, very likely. Uh, if things go as planned, that will be our departure point. We don't know that for sure because the ship might get a contract that takes it to another part of the world. For example, if, uh, if they have something they can do in Madagascar before they pick us up, then it would make more sense to go over to Cape Town, South Africa and take us from there. But as things stand right now, uh, Punta Arenas, Chile is probably where we will depart. Oh, very good. Well, Ralph, thank you so much for coming on. And again, um, give us the website and uh, how people can donate to help you out with the fundraising. Okay, the website is www.bouvetdx. That's B-O-U-V-E-T dot D-X. And uh, if you just go on the site, uh, you know there will be <laughs> there will be opportunities for you to uh, to help us out. Uh, you'll find them. Okay, very good. Well, I hope uh, some people can uh, go over there and uh, learn more about uh, the the trip and the island and uh, get some uh, some good stuff going up there. Uh, was on the site the other day, um, and then uh, can help out with uh, the funding. So. Uh, head on over there to uh, org, right? That is correct. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Ralph, for taking the time to uh, come on the show. Uh, we've had some people asking for you. and Oh, actually, uh, we've got a call coming in. So let me, get, let me go ahead and we'll squeeze this in here. We have just a couple of minutes, but let me see if we can. Oh, and now we're running into... Or technical problems again. Maybe not. Oh, okay. There we go. Uh, hello. Who's this? Hello. Hello. Oh, we lost the call. 
we'll see if we get a get a call back here again um, but we, yeah we've just got a couple of minutes so we're gonna have to, to wrap things up pretty quickly so okay yeah looks like we've lost uh, lost the call there so uh, maybe they can uh, send an email to us uh, and we can get that uh, question off to you so again thanks Ralph for uh, for coming on the show sure appreciate it and and best of luck on the trip okay Neil well uh, thank you much for having me and I hope we get you and all your listeners in our log not once not twice but multiple times well, I, I sure hope so. Hopefully uh, we can make that happen. Well, this is a wrap for this week's Ham Talk Live. Thanks again to Ralph Fedor, K0IR, and everyone out there listening in cyberspace. And I invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time when Lou Malchik into RQ will be here to talk about the upcoming school club roundup and how you can participate even if you're not involved with a school. And for a list of all of our upcoming guests, visit hamtalklive.com. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Don't, 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 don't,